You're listening to the Broadway Belters Podcast, where we sit down with some of Broadway's brightest stars to learn more about their journey behind the scenes. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Broadway Belters podcast. My name is Nick Freo. I am your host, and today I am very excited to welcome Miss Jennifer Denoya, Wicked Legend, to the podcast today as our guest. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being mm-hmm. here. Jenny has played the role of Alphaba in four countries and seven companies of Wicked, more than any other actress in the show's history. She has also been seen on the national tour of Mamma Mia and the Las Vegas company of We Will Rock You. So before we dive into all things Wicked, can you tell me a little bit about where you are from and how you got involved in theater growing up? Sure, yeah. Um, So I'm originally from a small town in Connecticut called Meriden. It's probably like 15 minutes away from New Haven. So I grew up there and, you know, I grew up as a dancer. That was really like where I started. Um, My love of theater and wanting to be on stage. And my uncle, when I was young, he used to be in the business and his partner is still in the business currently. So I grew up going to see them in shows. And I kind of knew very quickly that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be on stage. So, you know, I just continued studying as a dancer and I would sing, you know, occasionally in like choir at church or at school in choir. And I did a lot of like community theater and I I did a professional show when I was about six years old. I did, I think it was two weeks worth of time on the national tour of The King and I, and I kind of just got hooked like right away. I barely remember any of it, but I just remember like it being like everything I ever dreamed (laughs) it could be. Yeah. So I just, you know, I spent all of those years up until I was 18 and then decided to go to college as a dance major. And I, I kind of, well, I spent about a year and a half in school and then decided to leave school and move to New York. And then I kind of started my professional journey from there. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Where did you go to school? I went to Point Park. Oh, okay. It was Point Park College in Pittsburgh. Now it's a university. It's a, it's much bigger. And they yeah. like redid the school. It's beautiful. So you started your Wicked journey as a swing uh, in the mm-hmm. Chicago company? Yes. Can you tell us just about like that initial audition process? And were you a fan of the show prior to getting involved with it? Yes. Um, well, I had never seen the show. Um, I had only heard the recording of the show. And so the, the moment I heard the recording, I was like, this is the most incredible show I've ever heard. And, uh, you know, I obviously I was a huge huge, massive fan of Adina Menzel from Rent. So obviously I was like immediately like, I want to play that role. But you know, when it, when it came out, I was on the national tour of Mamma Mia. I was like 19 or 20 years old. So it was wow. it seemed like a very far-fetched dream at that time. But I remember I was in We Will Rock You when I got the um, my first audition for the show. And I went to a dance call initially in New York and I didn't get kept. I got cut. So that was that. And then later on in my run in We Will Rock You, they were having auditions in LA. So my friend and I from the show, Marcy Dodd, who ended up yes. becoming another Alphaba, we drove to LA from Las Vegas and we went to their like open dancer singer call. And the audition was, was really fun. I remember... We did a couple different combinations. They used to do this monkey combination in the dance call, which is, I don't think they do it anymore, but this one guy like 
banged his head on the floor and the, it was like very dramatic and he had like <laughs> blood dripping down his face. It was, oh my gosh. It was one of those like memorable auditions because, oh you know, gosh. there was a moment of pause <laughs> to take care of that. But, um, but I ended up getting kept through all of those dance sections. And then I got to sing my 16 bars of How Will I Know by Whitney Houston. And yes. it kind of just left it at that. And I went back to Las Vegas and I think a couple months later, we got our closing notice and I knew that I had gotten kept and potentially gotten like filed as a, you know, possible hire in the future. So I kind of just reached out to casting and said, Hey, you know, like I would love to come back in or just be considered for this show. Like, and honestly, I will take anything. Cause I was like, I, I didn't, I just wanted to be a part of the show so badly. So it didn't happen right away, but I eventually got the call to be a swing. Wow. And were you working with an agent at this time or was it all just directly through you? I think, you know, I don't, I'm not actually sure. I know that I sent an email on my own. Yeah. I think it was just me. I don't know if I was working with an agent at the time. I can't remember. Gosh, it's been so long. (laughs) (laughs) So then when did you start moving into uh, an alphabet track and was that an opportunity that presented itself to you or did you seek that out as well? Well, I, so it took me a while to learn all of my tracks in the show. Mm -hmm. And it was, it took me about six months to learn all nine female ensemble tracks. And then, and then uh, the London company opened and they actually changed a lot of the choreography and like added in, you know, new lines and took out parts of the show. Like we used to do that dance with the wizard and wonderful. And, you know, all of dancing through life was completely different. And so we had to like start relearning the show, which was really (laughs) wild as a swing. But right around that time, one of our ensemble members um, hurt herself uh, in alphabet cover. And okay. there's, there's always like the alphaba, the standby, and then the alphaba understudy that's in the ensemble every day. And at that time, you know, there wasn't a lot of people like to pull from, like a pool of people that had done it before that could just like jump right in, like, like it is now. Right. So I kind of was like, I'll be, I'll try, you know, and I, I spoke to the musical director and I recorded myself on a cassette tape. <laughs> 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 just aging. completely uh and we sent it off and they were like yeah sure you know she can be our emergency cover and they kind of just kept me on as the emergency cover once the the alphabet understudy came back into the show and and I ended up going on at one point can't remember if it was like right away I think it took some time but um but yeah then I I spent my whole like year and a half as a swing about eight months into that I started understudying alphabet so uh, yeah, crazy. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, you've played the role of Alphaba in four countries and seven companies, and you've obviously been able to see a lot of the world because of Wicked. How did that show vary from company to company every time you started fresh with a new production? I think the first thing I noticed, well, the first company that I, I went to internationally was Sydney, Australia. And this was obviously my first time going anywhere that far in the world, obviously. And it was just such a life, such a big life moment to begin with that, you know, that part of it was just like, you know, eye opening. But my initial, like the changes that I I would see, I guess, is that I was doing this with people that I'd never met before that literally, I don't, maybe one of them had seen the show in New York before. So they were oh, wow. all doing the show, you know, from a completely different perspective from all they have to pull from is 
you know, obviously it was set by our associate director, so they got all of the knowledge from there, but it was just so cool to do it with a group of people that I had never met before and they'd never met me. So it was really wild. And in Sydney, well, they do it in an English accent, which was always funny to me, made it easier for me because I was like, I'm not good. I can't do an Australian accent. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so that company was, was more like eye-opening, like, holy moly, like there's this company of Wicked, the same thing I know. It looks exactly the same and it is the same show, but it's so different. And the biggest, the biggest difference in company was probably Seoul, Korea, because that was obviously foreign, not English speaking. Uh, although I did that, sh I did that company with the Australians. So it was the same okay. people essentially oh, with okay. a few, a few different people in there. And we had like subtitles, like on little screens. All oh, over wow. The They're so high tech over there. Like it's, wow. I remember my apartment being so high tech, like all the floors were heated. I mean, you couldn't read any of the like little boxes because it was all like in Korean, but it was such a like a uh, high tech situation of theater, but they got the message of the show, which was so awesome to see especially with them not really knowing The Wizard of Oz mm. because they didn't really grow up seeing it on their televisions as right, young people. Right, right. But they loved the show. They were so wild about it. It was really wow. cool. Yeah. And then when you went to London, you did not have to put on a British accent when you were in Correct. London? I spoke with my accent. I, I always thought it was kind of cool because The Wizard in London uses an American accent. So oh. it kind of has that nice little twist I mean, it's very obvious, I guess, but um, right, right, right. having an American alphabet kind of fits into that kind of story. I did have to sing with a British accent, though, when I sang with, with like Glinda or with Fierro, which was very strange, like hit the hard T's and yeah. That, that, was was an, I was, that was another one of my questions. Did you pick up extra diction or anything when you were over there? Did that inform your performance? Well, yeah, I came back and after London, I, I went directly to LA. Well, I had a week off. That's when I got pregnant. And then I flew to <laughs> LA and not knowing I was pregnant and um, closed out the first national tour. And I was singing Defying Gravity, like hard T, which is... Hard T. So the, the musical director was like, you can, you can drop that. Drop that. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of musical directors, I think a lot of people would like to know, are there restrictions on the options and fun things that you can do in the show? What is that like? What's a no-no? What is a go ahead and you can do it? Yeah. I mean, the show has been open for so long. It's really changed, you know, over mm -hmm. time. It's gone through, it's just gone through its life, right? So, and every musical director is, is different um, as well within all of those periods of time. So it's, sure. it's not necessarily that there's a restriction. It's just, is there a purpose for it? And especially when you're, this is something that I always think about, like the, the mental game that a lot of alphabas will play with themselves because I did it too. <laughs> but like when you hear all these like crazy notes and stuff, you're like, oh my God, I have to do that. Or I have to do something like different, you know, and there's this weird pressure. Mm. And it, it, I think that happens more earlier on in your alphabet time, because you just want to prove yourself like sure. to not just like your company, but your the fans of the show. And so there's not really restrictions, but there is something to be said, I think for the simplicity of what has been written. And if we're going to do something a little extra, like let's make it 
work in the story and make it meaningful, you know? Yeah, sure. So it's hard to answer because like I said, times change, you know. Depends on who's there at the time and everything. Yeah, and and also the alphabet, like it depends on what What they're bringing to the table. Correct, yeah. To also go along with that, like you said, Wicked has a huge fan base, a huge social media impact and following Mm -hmm. for the good and for the bad. Sometimes, you know, there's internet trolls, there's negative comments. What has your your experience been with that? And what would you like to tell people who might need a friendly reminder of their social media behavior? Yeah, you know... Well, I mean, it's it's everywhere, right? It's not mm-hmm. just in musical theater. It's in politics. It's in, I mean, it's in everything. And obviously, like, I think a good rule of thumb is let's be kind because you never know what kind of situation anybody is in. Sure. But, you know, like early on when I was doing the show and when I started understudying Alphaba, and before like iPhones were like full out in theaters, there would be recordings on YouTube and I would troll myself <laughs> because I'd be like, you know, like in the beginning, you're like, oh my God, what do I sound like? And then, I mean, it's heartbreaking, obviously, to to listen to things and then obviously read comments because you only see the bad ones. You don't really allow yourself to be like, take in all of those wonderful things. So I early on stopped. Um, okay. Because I got to a point where I was thinking about it in the show, where I was oh, like okay. up, up flying and singing Divine Gravity thinking, oh my God, what fans are here today? They're going to judge me. I know it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I mean, because it it affects you as a performer to know that somebody's, somebody doesn't like you. I don't know if that's just me, like, needing, like, approval. But I think as performers, we all, like, want to do a great job. And we all want everybody to leave that theater having a, a wonderful experience. So, yeah, I guess I would just say to be kind, you know, and everybody brings something special, whether they're riffing to the rooftops or they're acting the S-H-I-T out of, out of the material, you know, there's, and there's balance in there. Absolutely. You've done a lot of standby contracts over the years. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know what it felt like when you finally got that full-time principal Broadway (laughs) Alphaba contract handed to you. Yes. um, So I started the show in 2006 and I didn't get my full alphabet contract until 2013. Uh, so it was a very long time. I mean, it seems so like long ago now. And like, I've been playing alphabet, I guess now for so long that during those many years, Mm. I was, I, I, there were definitely times I was frustrated and, you know, just wanted to play it. But I look back now and I'm like, I'm very grateful that it was so long and that it wasn't just like handed to me because I really learned how to pace myself in the show. And I really, I I got to learn from all these incredible women, all these amazing performers that were ready to carry this huge role eight times a week. So by the time I stepped in, I mean, it was wild. I was, I was so just grateful and happy to be there. And it was a massive like empowerment. Like it was a very big confidence boost for me, you know, a very big part of my career in learning how to be a lead in a company and not just on stage, but off, off stage as well. Sure. And did you, um, did your performance change at all once you were in the full-time role? I I'm always curious about, I know standbys do get to have a little bit more freedom as opposed to an understudy. Is that correct? (laughs) Well, I think, I think it's really cool that you use the word freedom because if you think about it, a full-time alphabet gets to play alphabet eight times a week. So there's massive freedom that comes from 
a comfort level that happens because when you're an understudy, you get to, you only get to go on when Elphaba's out and the standby's out. And so that's so few far in between that you're literally shot out of a cannon. So, I mean, obviously like, you know, you go on maybe once every six months to, to even once every year or two years, you know, and there's freedom in having this comfort come be, be more relaxed for you, you know, to be stepping onto sure. stage being like, I'm here and I was here yesterday and I, I kind of have a relax, more relaxed feeling about being here as right. opposed to being like, Oh gosh, where do I go? Like the, the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. What are some of your favorite moments in the show and how do, how have you figured out how to keep it fresh after all these years? Let's see. My favorite moments in the show obviously always change, especially just having to deal with what I'm, I might be going through um, personally. And I find a lot of like therapeutic type of feelings in the show because, you know, Elphaba gets to go through everything like yeah. anger, sadness, frustration, joy, like complete, like, you know, power, power woman, you know, kind of thing. And um, it's very uh, therapeutic, especially on those days when you need to scream and yell and, yeah. or you're feeling bad or down or, you know, frustrated. Um, but I guess like solid favorite moments of the show is 100% The Wizard and I. It's the hardest song to sing, but it is just like the most purest part of Elphaba, the most honest and just like, I don't know, good part of her. And I just always love like, I love that you get to see that right at the beginning. And obviously, I'm Not That Girl, I think is extremely underrated. It's a very difficult emotion, like difficult emotionally to sing because I think it's like a really... It's a part of her that we don't, that's a very strong part of her because she's literally like letting go of, of what could potentially happen for her. But she's just saying like, you know what, that's not for me. And a lot of people can't do that in real life, right? Like a lot of people yeah. are like, I want this, but they can't say, you know what? it's not for me or it's not for right now. Um, so I love that moment. And then I, I love obviously the, all of the moments with Glinda, but especially I love the fallen house scene, the cat fight scene that we yeah. have second act. I think it's just so powerful. And it, it's like, it's an argument with somebody you love, like with your whole self. Yeah. And I think it's just so many layers to that. And you can find so many different moments to keep it fresh constantly, especially yeah. if you're with an a another actor that can, can really give it right back to you yeah, as well. Sure. Yeah. You say the wizard and I is the most difficult song to sing. How, what would you say to people who always assume to find gravity is the most difficult song? Well, like vocally. Yes. Right. Like I, I think that I, I actually think that no good deed is probably like physically the more most difficult mm -hmm. to sing, especially when you're in the Broadway company, because you have to run upstage and run downstairs and run underneath the stage and then rise up out of the stage and then immediately sing this song. So um, <laughs> that's definitely probably like the literal hardest song to sing. But the reason I think that Define Gravity is a little bit easier than The Wizard and I is because you've just spent so much time already on stage your voice is warm, you know, you're moving through it. And the wizard and I is just like right out the gate, right? Like you're, yeah. depending on whatever day you have, like it's kind of your gauge, like how am I going to do vocally during this show? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. At I least that, that's how it is. <laughs> right. Exactly. Cause you do your warm up, but you can't do like too much vocal warm up because this is 
my personal opinion. Obviously, every alphabet has their own system. Right. But um, I can't do too much vocalizing before the show because I know that the show is going to naturally warm myself up and I don't want to do too much. So the wizard and I is really like, okay, where am I at today? <laughs> mm. And when it's not there, it's like, oh, this is this is going to be a hard show. Okay. So, but okay. that's, I don't know. They, it goes in waves, right? It's like some right. days this song is hard. Some days that song is hard. What goes through your head when you know you're about to have a no fly to find gravity? And um, <laughs> do you have any other fun mishap stories from over the years? Oh man, so many. Well, the no flies, you know, at first it's, you know, Defying gravity in general is like fight or flight mode. Like you can't exit the stage no matter what, because it's just you. So you have no choice but to keep moving forward. So right. that's kind of a no fly as well. But it's, it's like you get off stage after a no fly and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, like it's a blur. blur. Yeah. But you know, over time after it's happened to me a few times, you kind of like live for that because it's, it's kind of fun to change it up and yeah, walk down stage and, and stand with your feet you know, planted to the ground and sing this big, big song. So it kind of changes it up in a fun way. But I mean, as for mishaps, there have been countless mishaps. The latest one I keep keeps coming to mind is it was during my Broadway run between 2016 and 17. And during the catfight scene, you know, once the, the two women are fighting and the guards come and pull them away, when they pulled us away, like I have this very long wig on and obviously I have a wig prep on underneath and the guard that picked up Glinda caught, accidentally caught part of my wig. And when he picked her up, he pulled my wig right off my head. And so my wig was on stage left with Glinda and that guard. And I was being held back by the other three guards and bald. <laughs> and they literally were just like, they threw my wig across the stage. One of the guards was like trying to get it back on me as they're like pretending to like hold me back. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. That one, was, that one was crazy. But yeah, wow. I thought that everybody saw, I had people there that day and they were like, no, we didn't notice. And I was like mortified. Wow trips and falls and, you know, forgetting lines. There's so many, there's so many, yeah. there's nothing like forgetting a line and going blank. Ooh, talk about panic. Uh, what advice would you give to all the women and young girls who are listening to this right now that dream of one day playing Alphaba? Well, it can happen because I mean, I did it. It took me a while, but I mean, what I would tell them is to immediately get into voice lessons because that's really what has helped me continue this journey year after year after year because I was kind of winging it in the beginning and I realized that it didn't have to be as hard <laughs> as <laughs> it was me originally and just to keep moving forward and you know it's it's hard because it's like when you when you put your your goal when you have your goal right in front of you and you don't get there you know it can be very disheartening and it can pull you down but it's like what else can i do that will make me a better performer right it's kind of the advice that i give anybody that wants to be in this business in general and it's just like saturate yourself with everything you know don't just have one thing you know right. try and you know be great at everything and be as yeah. knowledgeable as you can in everything because once you get there you'll be so much more grateful and you'll have all these tools in your you know in your tool belt that yeah. you learned on the way. So, I mean, Wicked's going to be around. So I don't doubt that people are going to have a lot of opportunities <laughs> Well, once we exactly. reopen. <laughs> yes. Then to go on to that, where do you 
I know this is a loaded and big, vague question, but where do you see or what goals or dreams do you have for the future of your career? What other roles would you like to check off a bucket list? Well, I'd really, well, firstly, I'd really like to do a different show. (laughs) I mean, I love, (laughs) I love Wicked and I will, I will do it when they ask me to, especially when I'm not working because I still love it so much. But yes, the goal is to do another show, but I'd really love to do a show where I can use my dance abilities along with my singing and acting abilities. Like I've always said, I'm a massive fan of Sutton Foster and really like any of those dance shows, like Millie was always like a role that I've dying to play because I'm a tapper. But I, yeah, I'd love to just be in like a, a musical that I could do all of those things. And then I also, I really love to be in a play. I, I don't know if that's in the cards, but yes, I would like to check off all of the things. But I think right now I'm just trying to, I, I think right now because of the situation we're all in, it's a good time to like reassess and see what means the most or what's the most important to us. And I think it's it's mostly just about keeping my career going so that I can, you know, obviously provide life stuff, but also continue to put the tools in my tool belt, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Also kind of on that note, five years ago, you gave birth to your adorable daughter. And when you returned to work and went back to the show, what did you notice was immediately different, um, both about like the work process, but also has becoming a mother impacted your Alphaba or changed your performance as Alphaba? It massively changed the way I view the world, right? Like becoming a mom, like your priorities change, they shift. So when I stepped back into the show, Jules was eight, uh, eight months old. So the, the initial difference was that my body felt very different, you know, for obvious reasons of having had a baby. Um, but you know, things shift around in there when you do that and breathing gets different. So, you know, that physically I had to kind of learn how to do the show and, and it took me a little longer to like work up to my, you know, show mode. But I think that becoming a parent really helps you have more empathy for other humans. So not just like, And patience as well, you know, so not just on stage in like a scene with other people, but also off stage, which is a huge part of being in a big, long running show and also playing a lead. But I could see deeper. Yeah, that might not make any sense, but I could almost like see see a part of a person, but see a little bit further past what I was just opened your eyes a little bit more. Yeah. So it, it changed the way that I could relate to somebody. and everything just became more layered and deeper. Has Jewel mm-hmm. seen you doing the show? She did. When she was, you know, eight months old, she did not come see the show. Right. <laughs> she spent a lot of time backstage. So she was around it and like saw me in the green, which she wasn't scared, which was great. Okay. But since I've been back in the show more recently as a standby, she did come to see a performance and sat in the back and she watched the entire thing, which I was like blown oh, away wow. by. It's a long show. <laughs> it's a long show. I mean, it's a long yeah. show for adults. It's a, yeah. but she was scared of the Oz head, but she, you know, she really understood. She understood like the, the idea of the show and she was doing the toss toss and she <laughs> will bring it up to me every once in a while now. And she'll be like, you know, your sister that's in that chair. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, honey, that's right. And then the wizard, he was not nice. He was not nice to you. Yeah. Oh it's funny. It's funny what kids, you know, kids are so perceptive and 
what they you know, no to. filter. Oh yeah. But she always says, I love when you sing the wizard. And the I mean, she oh, knows just God. that song. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that. So the Broadway shutdown has obviously been very difficult for the livelihoods of everyone in our community, but it has also given the opportunity to kind of take a step back and think about the desperate need for some systematic change in this industry and racial equity. And I'm just curious to know what changes you would like to see when theater reopens, if you've given that any thought. Absolutely. I mean, one, I think that it's about time for, for the community to recognize that and for the people that are in charge of putting people into shows and also the outreach that has to happen, you know, within that as well to get to those people and give them those opportunities. And I really hope to see massive changes. And I know that shows are already diving into that and people are already recognizing that. And I think that it's just like, I'm ready to, to see those changes actually come to fruition. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, as a, white privileged woman it's time that you know we all take those moments in as well and also recognize what that means and be reminded because i think that like this big shift that's happened so massively this year of all the changes not not just you know with black lives matter movement but you know politically and this crazy virus i mean there's so many elements to this that they're all like this. They're all intertwined in this yeah. weird way. And I think that I'm really hopeful that Broadway is going to deliver. I really am. I, and I, I choose to be hopeful because I, I think that's the only way to be right now in such yeah. a difficult time. So Absolutely. Okay. And that perfectly leads me into my little closing question. Um, I've been asking everyone in each episode how they are finding positivity and remaining hopeful during this time. And so how have you been doing that? And how have you been navigating this crazy year? Well, it changes from day to day. There's definitely days where I am very, I find it very difficult to find hope. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. And there's probably more of those days there have been more of those days in some of the months that this shutdown has happened. But for me, I've, I've found a lot of hope in my daughter, you know, like <sighs> wanting her to learn and be as knowledgeable about everything going on as well. I mean, with her obviously being five and, and giving her the, the appropriate information, obviously, but she is like a big, bright, shiny light in my life. And she teaches me, so much on a daily basis and and i have to check myself too especially because i don't know it's like this this person that you're you're helping to shape and you're teaching them and what you say matters and the way you act really matters and that just goes for like in life in general so it's like when i step back into this business you know i'm i'm excited and i think everybody else will be in that same place too because they're going to recognize that what we say matters and what we do matters. So I'm looking at the future and that's what makes me feel hopeful. But I am grateful for the time I'm getting with my daughter right now. Blessing in disguise. There have been a few yeah. of them. Yes, <laughs> well, for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day, Jenny, to chat with me. This was wonderful. And I'm so glad that we got to learn more about you. Thanks. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for awesome. having me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey, Broadway Belters listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram at BUA Belters Podcast. And if you're feeling extra supportive, go ahead and share today's episode with a friend. The Broadway Belters Podcast was produced today by me, Nick Ferreo. Thank you for listening. <laughs>